Hey everybody, new episode of Rocket to the Cloud coming right up. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Rocket to the Cloud, the interview series where we talk to leaders and decision makers in software development and especially in the cloud computing space. As always, this show is made possible by Booster. What is Booster exactly? Let me tell you all about it. Booster is the fastest way to build production-ready, event-driven applications for the cloud. Just write your business logic, provide your cloud provider credentials, and let the Booster framework take care of everything else for you. Using the framework's high-level abstractions and conventions, as well as TypeScript's type system, all the cloud infrastructure gets inferred from the code, making it a truly serverless experience. Booster is an open-source initiative by the Agile Monkeys. Learn more about Booster by visiting booster.cloud, and check out all the other cool things the Agile Monkeys are up to by visiting theagilemonkeys.com. You'll find links in the description. For this episode, we had a great conversation with Taylor Dolezal. He is a developer advocate at HashiCorp, the fine folks responsible for Terraform, Vagrant, and a host of other awesome tools. Taylor told us about his role as developer advocate and CNCF ambassador, what HashiCorp products that he thinks that are the best, and he also told us about his time working at Disney. Would you believe that they use Kubernetes at Disney? But, wait a minute, is that a ship's wheel that Mickey Mouse is maneuvering on Steamboat Willie? Ha ha, now it all makes sense. Anyway, enough of my yakking. Here's the interview. All right, Taylor, welcome to the show. Welcome to Rocket to the Cloud. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here as our guest. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, so uh, we want to cover a lot of things, um, all related to um, your position as a developer advocate at HashiCorp and also the stuff that you've done in the past you know, with Disney. So we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. And I actually want to start out uh, talking about Disney. So I think first question would be, is your name in the credits for any of the <laughs> Avengers or uh, Star Wars movies? <laughs> uh, I actually got to play uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the Avengers, but uh, you just couldn't recognize they had a mask on. You know, it was just Iron Man, something like that. But no, uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, did not get into the credits. I did have a couple of colleagues uh, that did, uh, and and so even though working within Disney Studios, um, uh, a couple other groups like animation and, and some other things, I've got a. a a uh, colleague who's now at Amazon, Justin Garrison, and he has his name in the credits of like Big Hero Six and and Moana and a couple other places. But uh, yeah, I think I think you know uh, at some point in time we'll try to to get into an IMDb credit here or there. But uh, uh, very fun to <laughs> very fun to to work on those movies. It was really fun um, uh, over certain weekends and different different dates where a movie would be coming out, and then you know friends would ask in the before times. Hey, can you hang out? And then, oh no, I got to work on Star Wars. You know, it's coming out this weekend. I'm sure you've heard of that. So it was <laughs> it made for some fun conversations for sure. So, so what's the kind of work that you had to do at Disney? So, what kind of problems did you have to work on that required the use of of your expertise, which is cloud native technology? So, uh, great question. 
when I started at Disney, I worked on uh, mostly with the, uh, so I was a systems engineer at Disney when I started and was really focused on working with the theatrical teams. And they had quite a, quite a few applications. Um, some of them were, you know, to like a taxonomy of all of the theaters that they, uh, that they would put movies in. If they had like smell-o-vision or 4D or time warp technology, things like that it was kind of cool to see. Wow. Um, and then kind of helped out with uh, 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 just overall distri- theatrical distribution. Um, so the the way that the movie industry works is such that either, you know, uh, some places have like a satellite feed, and I think that's kind of what's preferred, right, is to be able to ship this data directly to uh, a place that would show a movie, whether it be a cruise ship, whether it be a theater, um, or just, you know, whatever it might be. Somebody's, you know, somebody has a, a, an awesome home theater and they have the capability for that, fantastic. Um, you know, that, that would be kind of cool. But... Um, we but, we were able to uh, uh, to, to kind of standardize on Kubernetes on that front to run all of those applications. But wait a minute, so it's not like in the old school. I thought you know the you know studios would ship cans of film over to the theater. So um, maybe I'm stuck way in the past. I don't know how the movie business <laughs> works nowadays. So that's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so now it's it's. I don't believe that film is shipped so much in that fashion anymore. It's more like hard drives um, and 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 other sources. I I do remember I had a, when I was growing up, I had a friend uh, whose dad ran a, a movie theater, and so got to see them thread the film and set up all the cameras to you know to to play the movies and things on that front. But uh, yeah, I think now it's it's mostly kind of shifted to being a hard drive, uh, and then you know working with distributors and 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 people on that front to actually run the movies around. Uh, and then once the the theaters have that file, uh, it's encrypted. And the way that uh, a lot of studios have it set up are that you basically buy a seven day uh, code to be able to play and run the movie. Uh, and wow. so even though if, if you have the file, um, you know every seven days it's going to switch out in terms of how you're actually able to play that and to run that. So that, I thought that was very interesting to kind of I, I had not known that before when it came to movie distribution and and how that actually all works. Yeah, this is all news to me as well. Um, so what's what things you know specific to the movie business proved to be like big challenges in terms of software solutions using you know cloud native tooling like you mentioned how did you get kubernetes disney to use kubernetes <laughs> of all things <laughs> so really that was that was a decision that we made as a group because uh, because we were very much working within, you know, Disney is an enterprise and, and they use all kinds of technologies all over the place. I think that's one of the things I really liked about working there was that each division had its own CTO. And so you could come up with the best approach that worked for you. You know, if you, uh, you know, had better success with this mail provider or if you uh, wanted to write in Ruby or, or whatever it might be, if that made sense for your team, that's kind of what you were encouraged and enabled to do, which I, I thought was fantastic. You know, if we dictated that everything must be done this one size fits all way we'd we'd lose you know we we might gain a little bit in in, in our agility and our ability to uh, push things out if we standardize on things like that but when you set it at that at the top level of the organization that becomes you know that can kind of uh, uh, hold you back in some regards um, depending on what you're looking to do whether it be you know data science uh, shipping movies um, what is your use case so uh, one of the things that I think was unique and interesting to Disney 
was um, getting to immediately focus on things from an international perspective. And so, um, you know, when when you start talking about multi-cloud or multi-region, um, those, you know, those conversations and things came up. But I'd say that just having to have that, um, you know, expectation set, you know, day one, this is not just going to go out to maybe five or 10 people, but this is going to go out worldwide. What right. you actually do, you know, an outage that, that, that pops up might actually um, affect, the, you know, the, the entire world, uh, which is kind of, you know, no, no sweat whatsoever uh, when you, when you hear something like that. <laughs> but um, when, when it comes to, to Kubernetes, I think that we had seen so many application teams uh, kind of uh, f- trying to figure things out from an inf- infrastructure perspective. You know, a, a stakeholder would come forward, say that they need this application. Uh, that team would work on that. And then they'd say, OK, we, we have to go live. Um, where is the software developer or the, the systems engineering team at? And then it would kind of always be like just in time uh, solving these problems, which was not ideal. Um, so the more that we kind of shifted into a DevOpsy mindset, um, that it was that was really coming to a head right when I started uh, uh, back in 2016. And so the teams are like, okay, we we do have we have to work together. We can't create these silos. Uh, we have to uh, it, when we work together, it just operates so much more smoothly. And so um, you know, I think it, it, I came in at just the right time. I was really happy to kind of. Uh, enter when everyone was like there is a better way to do this let's figure that out and we tried a few different approaches but that was when containers were coming about and um we saw mesos we saw kubernetes we uh you know rancher and cattle and and kind of all of these orchestration methods that came out and uh and and so at the time uh worked a little bit with rancher but ended up you know once kubernetes hit its full swing we jumped into that uh uh, which you know worked out really well because then we were able to communicate with developers and other teams in a in a and in a worthwhile way we we had um, some defaults that we could set. We had, you know, this is a deployment, this is a service, and then having all of that nomenclature in those agreed upon terms to refer to everything as and to communicate to teams in in that context, it just made things a lot easier. And so I think that was that was quite helpful. It's, it's really interesting what you're saying uh, because, um, you know, the, the, the attitude that Disney had toward, you know, trying to innovate and trying to stay up to date with uh, what what's going on out there. You you said that you know containers were coming out, so you guys adopted containers because um, uh, oftentimes you know movie studios or the movie business is criticized for being very backward thinking. You know, and especially with regards to like the business side of things. You know, like enforcing DRM for copyright. Um, Disney Plus. It, it took years after Netflix and Amazon Prime Video came out for Disney Plus to. Uh, uh, come on board um, but at the same time uh, the, the movie business is always innovating with regards to the stuff to make movies you know like in special effects right so um, I think it's a, it's very interesting what you're saying that Disney uh, was always uh, was very forward-thinking with regards to adopting uh, new uh, cloud native technologies and um, that you guys were also given a lot of freedom to innovate 
it's I think that that was that was really what made the job fun in, in, in my opinion was that ability to innovate and, and to have those conversations it wasn't just the yeah 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 I know that there's this new and shiny thing over here uh, yes it might have a couple reasons why this might be better but we're just used to doing it this way let's just let's just stick with it I think the overall attitude from a lot of the teams was like hey we know there's a better way to do this uh, we don't <laughs> we don't enjoy waking up at three in the morning can we you know can we can we make this better can we um, make this self-healing can we set up these checks can we make this a better experience for for everyone when it comes to shipping these applications and i think that that's that that i'm it's it's just such a a breath of fresh air to work in a place like that where that is the sentiment and uh and you know you don't just kind of want to keep having to push the same thing uh into the future and when it, it doesn't really have wheels and it's very heavy uh, uh to move that thing and in disney like you said was really i mean looking they they had a wonderful onboarding um experience and kind of talking about how uh walt uh just started with nothing and was able to take these big risks like um one of the one of the main buildings where or uh, some of the teams are on the main studio lot at disney uh there are the seven dwarves holding up the roof of the building they're like <laughs> built into the facade and you see it you're like ah that's disney you know uh but uh when they walked through there and, and they were talking about that they said the reason that that's the case is because they actually were the support and foundation for disney back in, in 1937 um where there there were actual there were doctors that said you can't watch an animated movie that long it's going to you make you sick and so not only <laughs> did they have all this like very bad press uh, working against them at the time but um, they also had you know doctors uh, calling against it they had theaters that were not willing to show the movie and then it ended up being you know one of the they would have gone bankrupt they would have not been you know what they are today without that kind of success and then same thing with uh, with Disneyland uh, it was a the exact same thing uh walt just really wanted he loved trains and so he just wanted to build a big train set yeah. um and then uh, have, have people ride it and have fun and that was uh the abc building is where that original plot was going to go um but then you know he ended up buying the the orange grove and the rest is history on that front too so really interesting to see all of those risks and i think that that just not only does it make an, an amazing story to tell but i think that that just makes a lot more fun of a kind of situation too uh when it comes to technology or just innovation in general it's nice to keep some things boring and and you know to like production it's great to keep boring but that should never you should never get complacent is my opinion on that i feel like that's always good to ask those questions what if what if what if and and you know always try to push yourself in that regard and what is the company's attitude toward using open source software? Because uh, a company, you know, with deep pockets like Disney is probably, you know, they could use any uh, commercial software available. But a lot of the, the, the stuff in the cloud native world is mostly open source. So, yeah, w w what was, the, you know, the attitude where you were working with open source software? So, it, it I'd say it was it was really good because not only does you know if if you're able to take in an open source project and kind of build on top of that I think that was kind of more the sentiment and that's really what I see in a lot of enterprises you know talking with friends and and other people within the tech community is that I, 
in my opinion, the best way to use open source is either use it directly if you can, if you have the time. You know, it does it does cost you time and, and money to operate and to build on top of these things. Um, in some cases, it makes more sense to buy the SaaS product, or we just don't have time to come up to speed to this. Uh, it's you know, at, at one example I can think of is like EKS. You know, we could run Kubernetes on our own, but much happier to pay somebody to deal with uh, etcd headaches and control plane issues. You know, rather than deal with those directly because because we have you know that's that's not our core business at disney is to to fix that infrastructure to get the applications up and running and then provide those great experiences for people working at studios get those movies out you know help the storytellers write the stories um keep keep that ip protected and then you know and then just kind of care about those those other security concerns but i'd say that the the overall sentiment towards open source is really good and uh, even seeing uh, like pixar uh, uh, has released a lot of their tooling um they i think that they're in a partnership with the cncf it's like a, a different division wow. really? and they've no released they, they they've released a lot of software on that front for like rendering and um uh, i think it's i think it is like open source.disney.com or, or it's I, I can find the link and send it to you at some point in time but um but they have a couple really good examples out there and then to kind of consume open source internally they had a really great program that you know brought all of you know the legal team and and security team and just kind of like to vet all of this process to make sure that um people were using the products as intended um you know like it would be the worst to use an open source project and then just kind of like ship out sensitive data you know <laughs> everywhere <laughs> uh, we want to make sure everything was a good fit too so really good opportunity to kind of uh, uh and, and and learn from others too like oh hey uh you know like uh, this this uh this division in the company did this last week we just went through this here's some pointers and tips and so it was like a, it ended up being a really good networking thing as well uh most you know most companies it's it's like a uh it's the paperwork i gotta get this open source <laughs> library approved it's gonna take two years you know uh, not the case not the case in my experience it moved along very quickly which is quite nice you mentioned security concerns quite a lot um, during the the past couple of minutes, so I, I'm I'm guessing that must have been like a huge thing uh, for for Disney, I, like how to avoid like leaks and spoilers coming out and all that kind of stuff for for the for the upcoming movies. Was that like a, something that uh, the division that you worked on, you know, had to be aware of, you know, th those sorts of things? <laughs> Oh, absolutely, absolutely! Thank goodness I didn't I didn't see any you know a, 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 a two major items or anything like that uh, while uh, while I was employed at Disney Studios. But um, it, it was just it just all of the and, and obviously can't can't talk too in depth on that one. But there there are some just really cool technologies when it comes to making sure everything is protected. And you know, as somebody is screening a movie or making sure that the subtitles came right or it rendered correctly, there's just so much cool technology. I wish i could talk about that that is that factors into you know what if that were to leak what if that were to get shared um as well as you know uh, just kind of the, the just very interesting conversations on that front um but uh, definitely something that was always kind of uh first first of mind i'd say that it taking a look at the movie industry i'd say that that's kind of like the that's the defining factor is if this is pre-release yeah. content if this is like red zone content um how do we keep that most secure you know can we put this on an air gapped network how do we if we do how do we deal with that um those those become really interesting concerns you know i think that uh, hearing some stories about people that have worked in government and and everything else kind of like it, it it all feels like a very similar space in the way that um different <laughs> companies go to go to treat some of the resources yeah, well, I don't think if uh, uh, 
leaking the Avengers is at the same level of national security. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Or the missile codes (laughs) or something. Well, yeah. (laughs) So after after Disney, then you moved to HashiCorp, which is where you're currently at. And you started a role as uh, you started working as developer advocate. So I wanted to ask you, you know, about, you know, what what the job of developer advocate or developer relations, you know, uh, what the job entails, because I'm under the impression that it's starting to become more and more important. Um, do you f- uh, feel that same way, especially in companies that are related to cloud technology, if the role of developer advocate or developer relations, the one that we're sort of doing right now is more important than ever, than ever before? Absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say that when it comes to th- that was the thing I really liked doing at Disney was getting to work with these teams. But, you know, like you said, being Disney, there's there's a lot of things I was not able to talk about. There are a lot of practices I'd love to share even today, but, you know, it, it are, are all protected things and, and things I can't talk about. And so those that I I, I want to do that, you know, I want to share it. I, I work within the Kubernetes space as as a contributor in like a special a SIG release and SIG docs, special interest group, SIG. Um, and so kind of that's that's a mentality I always want to bring to the table and made HashiCorp such an interesting opportunity uh, uh, when that came about. Uh, I liked talking with teams and not just coding, but being able to talk about the why of, of why we did that with our code. And right. um, again, how can we make this better? What do you think getting that feedback loop going and then just like start it, really starting a project, starting a community and and focusing on that community? Um, I'd say that that's most uh, most relevant now, especially, you know, because we're we're just on the cusp of finally being able to, to go out again and, you know, see see people again, travel, uh, kickstart again you know hoping that 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 really ramps up later this year um and and i feel like because of we've had this this year of of not being able to do that we've been able to call people and connect with people but that sense of community i feel like is is just really it's it's really hurting right now Uh, and i think that you know clubhouse and and all of these like podcasts and all of these other mediums in which people can communicate uh, i've seen a lot more people uh dive deep into them because there's that want for connection and i'd say that that's at the end of the day that's that's what i see a developer advocate as is somebody who really listens to the community and brings that feedback back to the product teams and just tr- tries the best that they can to, to really eliminate the the, de- the developer experience or the just the day-to-day pains that most teams feel. I think that, you know, it should be, uh, when, when you use a tool, it should be easy to use. It should just uh, seamlessly drop into your workflow and really, uh, you know, elevate you. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it becomes less of like, hey, look at what Terraform did. Uh, look what I did. I, I stood up this whole infrastructure. You know, you kind of like the, the tool kind of blends into the workflow and you forget about it, uh, you know, if it's a, it's if it is successful, in my opinion. And so um, I think that that's a very important thing for companies to focus on, especially right now, because, um, you know, uh, just checking in with their community, see how they're doing and try to help them out by by just making it more seamless when when using their tools, methodologies or or workflows so seeing as that your role puts you really close to the community and to the developers that end up using HashiCorp products uh you know the end users does that translate or do you get a a say in the direction that the company then will take with regards to new products how does that process work at HashiCorp so the way that it works right now, we actually just launched a, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the URL, but we just launched a website yesterday um, 
kind of showing our methodologies and how we work with teams across HashiCorp, how we, you know, what is, what is kind of like the, what are some workflows that we found really useful as a company uh, and as a whole. And I think that that's, that's definitely a great resource to check out. But um, when it comes to, uh, I, I really like working at HashiCorp because of that ability to talk directly with people and bring that back to those product teams. And, and I feel like I do have, you know, a, a say in a, in a stake in kind of how some of these things get developed. I think that the, when I go and I talk to uh, product managers, there's always this really, there's this sentiment that they really do want to hear what's going on. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's, you know, we didn't envision that, that, that this might be a problem area. Let's go, let's go focus on that and dedicate some time to solving this problem. Um, and then other times, you know, I might hear something uh, and get really like, oh, my gosh, this is really painful to do, uh, really difficult to do. And then bring that back. And, they, and then uh, my favorite times are when I bring that that feedback and they go, oh, it's this. Uh, try this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I get to learn a lot from that process and then try to, you know, uh, try to. Uh, give that back to the community in the form of a GitHub repository or, you know, a blog post or, or something on that front. So I think that's, that is a lot of fun. And I do like ha being where I am in that feedback loop. Uh, uh, now I, I, I liked, I liked that as an end user, but it just feels nice to kind of be, you know, in, in between uh, those, those two parties and those groups right now. So uh, what would you say would be the, the most difficult or, or, or maybe not difficult, but challenging aspect of, of, of this role of, of, of communicating, you know, with the end users and with the, with the developers and the communities. There was a blog post that I recently read that I, I, uh, really enjoyed and it kind of walked through some of these, uh, somebody that's a developer advocate and they had been, uh, working for a while in the space, I think like eight, 10 years. And, uh, they talked a lot about burnout and just because, as as a developer advocate, I I truly uh, deeply want to help as many people as I can, you know, because I I I've been in those difficult situations and I just don't want anyone to have to to deal with that going forward. Um, you know, like if if somebody makes a mistake, if somebody messes up, if somebody learns something beneficial, sharing that out with with everyone is just uh, you know that to me is 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 always the right call. Um, I would say some of the more difficult things are though with with that passion uh, it comes you know like you can't you can't help everyone obviously you yeah. you, you, you just not enough time sorry um, <laughs> but uh, kind of being being strategic and and whether to be strategic or tactical I think has been one of the biggest things I've learned over this past year is like instead of you know these one off sessions or trying to help these people you might end up helping four or five people by uh, having a one-on-one -on -one with them, jumping on a Zoom call and walking through something, but you help so many more when you're able to say, uh, you know, or help that one person and then write up that content, get that blog together because then you, that immediately scales. Think about, you know, totally. as just apply the same things that you're applying with your infrastructure to what you're trying to do in the community. And so I think that really just trying to help scale people up in that way, or again, just share out that knowledge and, and figuring it, figuring out kind of what, what the best ways to communicate that are, whether that be a Twitter conversation, sharing it out there. Is this a good blog? Is this a good video? What, what's the medium that's going to have the most resonance, I think are some of the more difficult things to, to kind of understand, uh, un unless you've been doing it for a while and then figuring out how much to 
uh, to take on really, you know, if you're doing, uh, uh, five live streams a day, you know, uh, within a week, that's, that's, you know, for me, that's, that's absolutely too much. You know, I think that yeah. I, I could, I might be able to do like one, uh, uh, between one and three with, with a lot of preparation beforehand. But I feel like that's the other thing that a, a lot of people miss is that preparation beforehand, making sure that the demo works, uh, even if it does, you know, uh, having a, a recording as, as, uh, insurance in case, you know, your, your, your stage isn't working the way that it should, or, you know, there's problems with the Wi-Fi or, or one of your credentials, uh, gets invalidated, some things like that. So always, always learning, always fun. Uh, I'm also sure that, uh, a lot of times when you're communicating uh, with the community, you get asked, you know, for features, uh, for feature requests and uh, they, you know, bring up a lot of problems that they're having. So what would be the like the most common problems or stuff that they ask um, that they'd like to see, you know, HashiCorp build a product or do something about? Really on that front, I'd say it is mostly... It's 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 my most favorite and least favorite answer in tech. Well, that depends. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I'd say that really some of the some of the biggest things are questions about how to run a specific workflow and how to set up. You know, if you're working with Terraform, how do I set up this repository? Um, if if people are building modules, it's you know how how do I make sure that uh, people are using this module in a consistent way across the organization? Or um, you know, uh, or like, does it make sense for us to to go from from using open source to going to Terraform Enterprise or using Terraform Cloud, you know, as a SaaS, just kind of like, uh, just really, really specific questions on that front. But I think that those are, uh, those are always really good discussions because then I get to hear a lot more about that business and give that, you know, give that person opportunity to, to kind of really think about the intent uh, of, of what they're trying to do and, and if that, what that would make sense. Um, I, 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 again, I'll, I'll, I could, I could keep saying, I love working here all day long and it's, it's yeah. true. I just, every time I, I think about all the things that it makes me really happy that uh, I'm working at HashiCorp and, uh, one of the key defining things for me as a developer advocate is that, um, while I appreciate, you know, uh, people, uh, uh, people that pay HashiCorp and buy enterprise and, and, and are giving us money. Thank you. That, that does allow me to, to have a job, but at the same point in time, we do have interactions where somebody might say, I like cloud formation a lot more. And and it's okay for me to to say, you know, like absolutely, if this works with your workflow, uh, let's let's dig into this, let's let's figure this out. You know, that's the interaction. That's a natural interaction. Uh, do you ever talk to your friend and say something, and they're like, oh well, since you didn't, you know, do this this my way, I can't I can't help you. You know, it's like it's it's just not really a natural interaction. And so I like the the chance and the ability working here to have those natural types of communication with people. Um, and and you know, I'm not on the hook for actually selling something to you. I'm here to understand you and then and then help right. you, which I just that that really fits with, with my personality. So I'm I'm really happy that I've got that chance. I, I, I really feel uh, happy on that front. Which of the HashiCorp products is the one that you know excites you the most, and which one excites you the least? Um, Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. I would say um, because honestly, you mentioned I'd Terraform say, a lot. Terraform for sure. Terraform, I'd say is uh, so so. I I started using HashiCorp products. Uh, really early, I'd say as soon as uh, uh, Vagrant came along, when Mitchell had worked on that before, you know, HashiCorp really culminated and came together. Uh, I was working at American Greetings and uh, the greeting card company here in America, and we set up a lot of our uh, 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 virtualized environments using Vagrant. So uh, have have really honestly liked uh, just about the entire stack. Um, most recently, I'd say Terraform is definitely number one for me, though. Um, I'm starting to kind of come up to speed with Waypoint as well. 
well. Uh, being within the Kubernetes space, uh, I really like being able to use that to deploy things and then, you know, stand up infrastructure with Terraform and then use Waypoint to kind of deploy that. Uh, the project's really coming along. It's 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 at an early stage right now, but definitely worth checking out and, and kind of uh, giving feedback to that team on, on what you want to see. I know they've got some really big things planned for 0.3 and 0.4. Right now it's at, at, at uh, uh, 0.2, but really, really interesting and fun things coming up on that front. In terms of in terms of least, I'd, honestly, it's it's uh, all of the HashiCorp products are, are so easy to use. It's it's a hard hard thing for me to answer. But the the one that I'm trying to learn most about right now uh, happens to be the I've got a uh, Nomad Expert shirt on, and uh, there's there's still quite, there's still quite I have to uh, learn up on on that front. I think that one of the things I'm working on right now is. Um, we have all these ways to get Kubernetes up and running pretty easily, whether it be a managed service or, you know, Cube ADM. There are all these options that we have available to us. And and I've seen a few for Nomad, but there uh, to me, there's like not a... I, I would really like a Terraform module to be able to just spin this up in AWS, GCP, Azure, pretty much, you know, whatever whatever my cloud might be. I think that that would be an optimal experience for me. And so that's that's one thing that, that uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm starting to take a look at with some coworkers and in creating things like that. So also, you know, and, and fun because then I get to learn about it and, and kind of, you know, battle test it, uh, stress test it and, and have fun with that. So we talk about HashiCorp products, but I want to ask you now, which product made by competitors you'd wish that HashiCorp would have thought of first? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Um, I'd say uh, I'd say probably just Datadog. Um, just having that observability platform. Uh, I, I've I've been a huge fan of Datadog for a long time as well. Uh, I've been lucky enough to use that at, at most jobs I've worked at too since it since it came about. And um, I think that's that's one thing that's I, I think that's been said publicly is like the you know uh, people when they were kind of uh, thinking about uh, waypoints and we teased that out to the community as like a uh, so what do you think that this project might be and and drop hints before we actually announced waypoint and um, a lot of people said oh CICD or monitoring and metrics and so I think that that was said was like. There are so many companies that do so well at that, you know, Datadog being one of them, that uh, we don't really feel the need to enter into that space. So I think that they just do a fantastic job. Um, and uh, and that, that would have been cool had we thought of something like that. Uh, but uh, definitely, you know, when it comes to DevOps, I, I, I think everything makes sense the way that things have been developed at, at HashiCorp. But if we had uh, an extra product, I think that Datadog's uh, uh, SaaS would be quite cool, honestly. I want to ask this now. So it appears that over time, well, this is my perception. Uh, I don't know if you shared that. HashiCorp products have been evolving in the level of abstraction in the same way that developers have been demanding more abstraction from cloud-native tools. So HashiCorp started, you know, at the lowest level with VMs, uh, with a Vagrant and the Packer, and then moved over to infrastructure automation with Terraform. Now you got tools for identity and access management with vaults. You got orchestration, scheduling, so forth. So... What does HashiCorp have in store for the near future with regards to achieving a different or the next layer of abstraction and improving developer experience? So I do think that Waypoint and Boundary are, are two really, really helpful, really interesting projects for, for right now and, and kind of for what's next. Um, I think that when when we took a look at Terraform and saw, you know, it, like uh, Terraform and Vault, I think are, are some of the biggest things I've seen a lot of interest in right now. And I'd, I'd attribute a lot of that success to uh, their ability to, to be pluggable. And we have 
modules, we have providers, we have, you know, uh, for Vault secret engines. So if you either want to get an AWS access token and in, in key, uh, you can do that. Or do you want to authenticate with GitHub? There's a plugin for that as well. Um, and, and kind of seeing that get factored into at least Waypoint uh, boundaries, definitely something I need to, to spend some more time with. But um, but yeah, Waypoint, uh, I think is really cool because now you have this pluggability for your build step. Um, do you want us to, to try to figure this out with cloud native build packs based on, um, you know, what you're using to version your dependencies or do you have a Docker file? Oh, okay. We can use that. Um, and then the deploy step, you know, are you deploying to nomad Kubernetes ECS? What are you deploying to Google cloud run? What are you, what are you deploying to, you know, being able to kind of, um, and then stack things there. So if you did truly want to go multi-cloud, uh, you, you have that opportunity and that, that potential possibility there. And then finally, the release step, you know, like let's, okay, now that we've deployed all these applications, let's switch on the traffic, let's do our canary deploys, let's let's handle this process and, you know, let people know in Slack that all this happened and, and all this went through. So I think that kind of focusing on application delivery as a whole is, is I, I feel like that is going to really... Uh, uh, really advance uh, quite a bit within the next few years as well as you know just i think that we're, we're setting ourselves up for success in the fact that we have this pluggability um and so you know whether that's whether we want to focus on, on writing some plugins directly as as a company or you know as a community member being able to you know that's something that we fully support and encourage um i think that there was i can't remember what plugin it was but seeing the waypoint team you know go back and forth on do we create this plugin or uh, and then they said, no, this is a great thing for the community um, uh, and, and just really uh, would, would kind of show an interest in this. So let's let's leave this to the community and, and which we saw come along. So I thought that was kind of cool, too. Um, uh, but uh, I think that's really what's next, as well as kind of moving to the um, uh, uh, to to kind of a, just a more secure type of, of setup. I, I'm blanking on the name that Google uses for their uh, their terminology around um, how they set up VPNs and security. It's authorization and authentication um, all in the same breadth. So you don't have to be on the company's network to, to access anything. Um, and I think Boundary is going to be great with that too, because even if we use Vault, even if we have these, you know, just-in-time passwords and one-time passwords and, and all of these awesome pieces of functionality, um, not being able to SSH into a machine when you need to, to take a look at something um, and, and there's a good use case to do that or get access to a database you know there's still reasons for for people to interact with machines and so having boundary to do that after you've deployed your applications i think is also quite helpful and i think that that will also be another area that just really changes um the more that we see things like the solar winds attacks and um you know equifax and and all of these things happen it's just going to make more sense to to automate that audit that and track that which which uh, those two products will help out quite a bit with you know, apart from your role at HashiCorp, you're also a CNCF ambassador. Uh, for those of you folks at home, CNCF is the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Um, so what does it mean to be an ambassador for the CNCF? What does the job entail? Is it like being a developer advocate, but, you know, I guess with a broader uh, scope of projects to advocate on or something? <laughs> 
definitely it's, it's so so with that i'd say it's also just a really good uh a really great chance to work with some some uh, immeasurably talented people um and and just hear about those projects uh, I, i'd say so not only do we kind of act as uh, advocates for for the ecosystem in general and you know helping out like I, I, you'll see a lot of uh, you'll see all of the cncf ambassadors working within uh helm kubernetes cncf projects you know left and right um, and, and so just really people that are knowledgeable on each of those things, I think that that's uh, nice to see that representation and that the CNCF really values that. Um, they'll, they'll also uh, typically get pulled in to help on different events. So whether that be KubeCon or, you know, like Rust Days and, and all of these other efforts, um, that's another opportunity for CNCF ambassadors to kind of come together and, and uh, put, on, uh, put on events and, and, you know, get feedback from people on how the different projects are, are going and and how they're working if there's any, anything that can be added um, so I like that we have regular calls as well to kind of hear about some things that are going on within the community as well so uh, you might see you might sense a pattern here uh, with community and and kind of yeah. giving feedback and, and working with others but I think that I, I really do like that focus as well and then the CNCF was something that I felt was really beneficial to have uh, while at Disney because um, when you work for a big enterprise, uh, typically it, we see this in, in AI and, 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 and ML, you know, research groups within places like Apple and, and other places where people can't publicly speak about uh, most of their work, which is, you know, which is under, is a bummer. It's understandable, but it's still a bummer. And um, I think that that's starting to open up. But being, you know, you, you never want to conflate um, working with a place for speaking on behalf of a place you know all, all views are my own type thing so i think that the cncf really uh made me happy that it was a platform that i could use while at disney to uh, go and talk somewhere or you know discuss uh, give a talk and i'm i'm here i'm talking on behalf of the cncf uh or within regards to the cncf uh, not on behalf of but within regards to so that was uh, a, just a cool avenue to kind of pursue and um you know it, use that as as a as a good place to to talk about these things which is quite quite fun as an ambassador are you also always on the lookout for new and exciting projects with related to cloud native technology um uh where do you go to 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 find you know some uh new projects that could be that could serve a, a purpose uh in within the the cloud native community so uh, typically i'll take a look at the uh the cncf has a repository and so as uh, projects move from sandbox to incubator to uh, graduated and I'll typically follow that honestly is the best place to get like an, an ear on the ground level of what's going on and, and what some of these projects are. Um, the templates are very well laid out and so you really can read a lot about uh, about what's going on or what what the purpose that this you know that project is trying to solve which is quite quite neat. Um, I'd say the other place are the the regular calls that we'll have with you know the CNCF uh, uh, group and just hearing about some things that are coming up or or you know some like oh hey does anyone have an interest in this or um, has anyone seen a, a project in this space that might solve this problem and then hearing you know feedback on that front like oh yeah check this out um, one I found out recently was a project called Captain uh, K E P T N and that's mm -hmm. uh, to help kind of facilitate uh, it doesn't. It doesn't so much uh, handle your pipelines when you're deploying an application, but it um, 
it gives you CRDs and some other really, really cool things to um, check, you know, check that you're meeting your SLOs and SLIs as you're deploying an application so that you aren't deploying these things that, that you know, either serving up 500 errors or, or things of that nature. Um, so uh, just I, I'm uh, just kind of blown away by the amount of different projects we're seeing enter the community, too. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the specialized tools subreddit. And so, you know, it kind of feels like that. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's a thing that does this, you know, so that's that's cool to see. <laughs> so, so continuing with that, which of all the of the many projects that are currently hosted by the CNCF are the ones that you, the, 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 you're, you're most excited about? So, honestly, uh, Kubernetes uh, by far and away, obviously, but I think that most people would would say that and just have a lot of uh, familiarity with that. But I think that when it comes to, um, I'd I'd say that I'd have to think. Um, I'm, I'm, well, one that come, really comes to mind is, uh, the open policy agent. So was really happy to see that graduate. Um, and, uh, despite, you know, working in a place where we've got Sentinel and that really works well as it's not so much a product as it is capabilities when you buy, you know, enterprise license of Terraform or Vault or something, um, that will help you with with those workloads. But when it comes to you need something within the community space, uh, you need something that's open source. I think that OPA, the Open Policy Agent, is is an incredible tool. And I like how it's... I didn't like it at first, to be honest, but I did like after using it a few times was it's uh, it's it's very composable and it doesn't, you know, doesn't solve all of your problems. You don't write this policy and then kind of it's not integrated directly with anything. Um, it, it, it kind of operates off to the side. So I it's so it's fun to use projects like Gatekeeper, um, which will use OPA in Kubernetes to run policies, make sure that you're setting all the labels correctly on your namespaces. Um, if you know it, it, you could add a policy so it doesn't run like verybadsoftware.com, no images pulled from there get run, you know things like that. Um, so you can also put uh, allow lists in for things that you'd want, or, or you know uh, deny lists in for things that you wouldn't want. So I think that it's uh, that's 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 quite a cool project as well. So given that Kubernetes is your favorite by far, as you just uh, just mentioned, um, and you've been a contributor to the project for some time now. How and when did you get involved with, with becoming a, a contributor to the Kubernetes project? So at first, I really wanted to be a CNCF ambassador just to, because I, I we, were, we were using Kubernetes in, in just about everywhere I worked. I, I started using Kubernetes before Disney as well um, in a couple of different jobs and a couple of different projects. And... Uh, really just kind of wanted to find out a way to be involved. And I was really intimidated by directly going to the open source route. You know, I was just like, that's, whoa, that's, that's, I can't, I can't ever do that. Um, you know, and, <laughs> and so I was like, I'll, I'll try to be a CNCF ambassador. Um, so I tried for that for a while. Uh, and the way that that works is that you uh, submit, you know, your application uh, and then you wait to hear back. You don't have to submit a new application after after you've initially done that. They, they constantly review them and, and take a look at who's being active within the community. And um, and so they're and they only allow in two people every month. And so with a big backlog, uh, with a large backlog and just kind of the, you know, that that low acceptance rate every month uh, that, that didn't happen for for quite some time. So got a little a little bummed out. Uh, and then about it, it, like miraculously at the time I started getting bummed out, I saw on Twitter, they said, Hey, do you want to work on Kubernetes? Um, here's our shadow, uh, shadow survey. If you want to work on the, uh, one of the releases and that release was 114, uh, was what I got started on. And so 
I saw that and I was just like, oh my gosh, this, I, I can use this passion towards something. This is going to be so much fun. This, this will be cool. Um, and I signed up for the communications team. Uh, and then, uh, then the rest was history for me with open source and just kind of losing, shedding that fear of like, ah, I, I'm not good enough. These people are, are just, you know, I could never get to that level. You, you can, and there's so much work to do. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to, my expectation was something like I have to be able to rewrite the orchestrator and, you know, integrate with etcd and, no, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do any of those things. It's one feature at a time. You know, it's it's very much like like any project. You could you could look at the culmination of all the efforts, but it's so many people um, that that were passionate and and wanted to get these things done. And it's just one step at a time. It's it's okay. Uh, you don't, no no rush to to reinvent the world. Um, and you know, if even if that's even if it's you completely replacing a paragraph or a line in the documentation that then helps so many more people uh, understand that topic or that concept or that feature that's so meaningful um and so that's that's something that i've that that's kind of what what did it for me um and and uh has has made me excited about that i've i've uh, gone on to to lead the 119 release for kubernetes um and and right now i'm an emeritus advisor for 121 and um it's just a really fun project to work on. There's there's so many cool people uh, involved in the project, and uh, even even the shadow surveys that we're sending out now for each release, uh, we, we've gotten back so many people. I think it was, um, I think it was around like 120 people, uh, and and we only had 36 slots to fill. So uh, though though we never like giving that like ah sorry you didn't make the cut this time, um, we've gotten so many more uh, roles, responsibilities, uh, and and things things like that with when it comes to the project to be able to you know pull people in and, and, and to include them uh, and so if anyone listening wants to get involved feel free to at me please at me you know anywhere on the internet as only dole o-n-l-y-d-o-l-e but um yeah if never never if you're thinking about getting involved in, op- in an open source project uh, i'm going to push you over the fence and say just do it um you know uh, uh, make sure that it works for you and and it and it kind of fits with what your what your intents your intentions are what you're trying to do um you know like if i don't have any want to get in- involved in uh in in security um wouldn't make sense for me to join sig auth right um and so things like that like it, i i would say that there's there is a place in a project as big as kubernetes for just about uh, for literally everyone in just about every context uh, that exists which is quite quite nice you said you were a release lead. So how do you lead, you know, such an effort considering the magnitude of a project like Kubernetes, which has thousands of contributors, thousands of issues on GitHub and, you know, hundreds of pull requests, you know, how do you deal with the magnitude? So, so really with that, it's, uh, I'd say, I'd say most, most release leads that you'll talk to, uh, I, I feel like what they'll say is they just, you know, really just getting out of the way and, and helping each of the different leads within their different areas as much as possible. Um, as a release lead, it's, you know, you, you're, you're a manager managing managers, um, uh, when it comes to things like that. So, um, when it comes time for you to do things, that's mostly in communication. Um, if there's a confusion about which direction to go, um, uh, that, you know, jumping in and, and being able to offer feedback and having that experience, you know, uh, most, most release leads have been through the release pro- cycle about three times. Um, uh, uh, typically by the time they get to that level, uh, typically you'll be a shadow, uh, for, for two cycles and then a lead of a specific area like communications or enhancements or bug triage. Uh, and then after that, you can get selected as a, um, uh, release lead shadow, which, which I, which I did. And, uh, with, uh, um, 
uh, within one one eighteen, uh, and then you know, and then uh, one one nineteen actually got to lead. But I'd say that um, really with that, it's it's just figuring out the best ways to help your team. Uh, it's a lot less of providing the direction for everyone because a lot of the roles are really well defined and like everyone has their their marching orders and it's very very clear what they need to do in most cases. Um, but if there is any confusion, that's that's the time to step in. And then at the end of the release. Um, I'd say that's absolutely when it really starts to ramp up. It goes from, you know, four or five hours of commitment a week to probably about, you know, 15 to 20 um, and and just checking to make sure everything is the way it should be. Um, Kubernetes has a uh, Kubernetes enhancement proposal um, uh, methodology. So if there's uh, so when you want to contribute or even if you don't have the time to do it, somebody might pick up a KEP uh, and, and go and, and, and enact that enhancement. Um, and so with that, each step of the process is the, the proposal, uh, somebody goes out and codes that then tests get written, then documents get written documentation for that feature or, or that, uh, ability to get used, uh, that gets written up and then it moves into alpha, then beta, then finally GA, if everything goes well on that front. Uh, but there are, you know, there are some, some features that, that might not make it. And, and the community is starting to get to a point where it's, we're going to be going through those and, and, uh, defining some better criteria on, um, nope, this is, this has been in, in alpha for, you know, uh, several cycles. There's not a lot of use cases, not a lot of people using it. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to deprecate this and, and end up removing that. So now we move into that fun kind of gardening aspect of, of the community and, and of these releases. So it's, it seems like, or it seemed for a time that there's been a, like a divide in the cloud compute world between, you know, the serverless camp, you know, the serverless renders that as functions as a service, you know, lambdas or Azure functions, whatever, you know, serverless on the one side, and then you got the container camp on the other side, the Docker, Kubernetes, and, you know, and all the container ecosystem. But it seems, uh, seems to be that um, lately the, the lines dividing that those camps seem to blur so you, you for example you got stuff like fargate on aws google cloud run um azure container instances which sort of seem to take you know like the best of both worlds you know the best of serverless and the best of containers so what uh, i want to ask you is like do you see a near future in which you know the underlying infrastructure whether it's functions containers or just a plane or virtual machine you know will that become like a non-issue among developers and it's just here's my code i want it to run on the cloud do whatever you want with it um whether it's using you know hashicore products like terraform under the hood or stuff like that i do think that it, it, again a fantastic question I, i'd say that um it I, I i've talked a lot about this with a, a, a former colleague of mine uh, Stephen wilcox i've got to give him a, a shout out um and we've talked about uh, we, we want to see this future where we know we're writing an application, uh, what language it, it, it's written in doesn't really matter. Um, we want to have storage, uh, and, you know, and we're done, you know, like if we can define this minimal set of things that we need, that's that, I think that it will be the future for sure. It just like it, application. Yes. Yes. No, uh, storage. Yes. No. And, and, and some other minimal concerns and, and you're off to the races. Um, I think that we'll get to that point too, because, uh, and I feel like we're getting closer because things like Kubernetes, uh, things like Nomad are giving you the ability to kind of have this abstraction layer, um, you know, if, if, uh, and then, you know, kind of what is it? And then I'll take care of the rest. 
Um, and so I, the lines do blur for me, uh, and and I'm I'm starting to get into understanding how some you know some serverless workflows uh, are 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 enabled and and how they work. Um, you know, when does it make sense to have a long running process or have um, you know uh, like do do you care about cold starts and and warm starts? Do you uh, do these things matter to you? Um, even working with teams that that use uh, cron jobs and and just jobs in Kubernetes. Yeah. Um, you know, does that make sense? Do you really need a cron job? Could this be like a consumer producer type setup or, or model? Um, you know, what makes sense for you? Uh, so I think that the, the, that's the long answer. The short answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, lines are, are definitely blurred and um, I'm excited to see them blur because then that just means that we're getting better at writing technology that is better able to kind of sense uh, what data it's working with. Uh, what are the use cases and, and the and the patterns and the types? You know, I, I again would love to get to a, play, a point in the future where it's just like, what's the architectural pattern you're trying to use here? Oh, okay, we got it. Um, you know, and, and kind of run from there. What do you see as the future of cloud computing, and uh, what's the direction that you would like to see? You know, the major cloud vendors, whether AWS, GCP, Azure, um, and, and not just the cloud vendors, but the cloud ecosystem. Take what direction would you like them to take? In, in the future, whether it's, you know, the near future or the far future? I would say, um, really, I would say just that developer experience, making that a, a lot easier to use, um, you know, and just kind of uh, pouring more time and effort into places like that. So so when it comes to, uh, you know, it, it, I'm biased here, of course, but it, it, it Terraform examples or infrastructure as code examples and um, just kind of sensing some of the, the workflows and the patterns a little bit more of the community. It's nice to have all these tools and this composability to put all these things together, but kind of, um, you know, I, I've liked that from what I've seen from all the, the, the cloud vendors is that, you know, as time has gone on, um, giving us an option to run Kubernetes as a managed st uh, service and then starting to better incorporate that. Like I'm seeing a lot more from all major clouds on, um, you know, what is, what's going on in this namespace? What's this deployment look like? And, and getting data and metrics uh, back on that and, and making it easier to track that as well. But um, I, I'd say just more to kind of get off of the ground, get off the ground up and running in the cloud a lot easier would would be a, a fantastic focus, uh, as well as uh, some secure some secure by default uh, patterns that that make things easier too. Um, one of my favorites with when you know introducing teams or working with teams on Terraform is uh, locking people out, allowing them access to the, to the GUI, but then kind of locking it down and giving them read-only access because you should be able to version and, and make your infrastructure declarative. So kind of going through that exercise is really helpful. Like ah, I shouldn't be clicking around right now. I should just be able to you know uh, use my infrastructure's code to spin this up and 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 get things working in that manner. Um, but it's fine that I've read-only access. I can inspect that everything is how. I want it to, to actually be. Taylor, thank you so much. It has been a wonderful conversation and uh, looking forward to seeing all the cool stuff that HashiCorp. Um, next time I'm going, I'm, I'm watching Disney Plus or anything by Disney, I'm going to pay close <laughs> attention to everything that's, uh, you know, uh, ha happening, you know, not just behind the scenes, but like behind, behind the scenes with the, well, all the stuff that you told me, told us at the beginning. So, yeah. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mario. Thank you all for listening. And uh, this is fun. This is awesome. Yep. Likewise. All right.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Rocket to the Cloud. This episode is brought to you by Booster, an open source initiative by the Agile Monkeys. Visit booster.cloud and theagilemonkeys.com to learn more. Links are in the description. If you like this episode, click the like button and subscribe to our channel. And if you're listening to the podcast version, don't forget to subscribe. See you all on the next episode.